Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, during our congregational greeting time, um, Dr. Riegert was playing a little background music for us, and it was... Rachel Platten's song, which was entitled My Fight Song. That's right. He was playing My Fight Song. Here, here is sort of the uncomfortable part of today's message. Today, today, the text tells us that we must fight. That we must fight. That bad things happen when the people of God don't fight. Perhaps the harder message that we will have to really wrestle with today is that when we say fight, we mean something other than what other people mean when they say fight. <laughs> we baptized several kids here today, and the truth of the matter is that uh, we will, in fact, all play a role in helping these young people live into and up to their vows. And part of what we're going to do is we're going to teach them a language, a language of faith that will give them opportunity to use words in uniquely Christian sorts of ways. For example, around here, when we use the word grace, we know kind of deep down what it means. There is something really good. There's really something good news-ish about it. And when we use the word grace here... In our context, it means something very specific. But grace, when that term is used on the athletic field, means something else. It might mean athletic ability. Here's one. Strength, as opposed to weakness. When we use those words, it means something different here than it means outside in another context, in another kingdom, that is chasing around a different king, not the one that we are chasing around. When we use the word strength and weakness, perhaps it might even mean the opposite of what they mean when they say out there, strength and weakness. The book of Revelation actually will a couple times use the language of rich and poor and will make the point that those who are rich out there are poor and those who are poor in here are rich. And so with our children of all ages, even those who are approaching 100, we are teaching the unique language of faith because language is really, really important. And the little bit of language that we're trying to teach today with a passage like this, the little bit of language has to do with fighting, wrestling, struggling, overcoming. I think it's really important, I've said this to us before, it's really important that we come to the book of Revelation with the right lenses. In fact, in years past, I've had you come with three-dimensional glasses, <laughs> 3D glasses that will allow you to see and make the point that what happens in the book of Revelation is not somehow flattened out and way out in front of you. That's a two-dimensional image like you see on a screen. But what the book of Revelation is talking about is not just in front of you, it's all around you. Because the book of Revelation is not so much about what's going to happen. You've been sold a bill of goods. 
The book of Revelation is not so much about what's going to happen. The book of Revelation is so much more dangerous and important than that because it is about what happens all the time. And here's what's happening. Here's what's happening in this little church in Pergamum. They are not fighting the right fights. They're not fighting well. But maybe to get a better understanding of what it is that we're talking about, maybe we have to go a little farther back and actually ask the book of Genesis. Okay, what's, what's going on here? Well, if you'll remember, and even if you don't remember, listen to this, okay? Way back when, Genesis chapter 1, God creates. And as a part of that creation, God says, and I will create partners for myself who will help me embody and enact this kingdom and the heart of God. We'll call them man and woman. (laughs) And God right there, you can see it, the testimony is clear. God says, I intend to partner with and use and be helped along by people who will help me to put skin and flesh on the right kind of way to be alive. In other words, God created creation to need us to play our roles. Not a bad place for an amen, I'll wait. Okay, not bad, not bad. God created creation with an eye toward making use of us so that we could steward all of life. And I'm not just talking about environmental issues. When I say creation around here, I mean something much broader than simply the ecology of the whole thing. I mean all of life. In fact, why don't you put a capital L there? I mean all of life. We are entrusted with this opportunity and the responsibility to help steward life toward God's dreams for all of life and all God's people. Said again, okay. And something bad happens when we forget who we are. Something really bad happens, and by the way, something really bad happens, and not just to you, the forgetter, or me, the person with the memory problem. Something bad happens in all of life, with a capital L. Something really bad happens when the people of God don't partner with God to steward all of life. This is why, this is why, Paul will say in Romans 18, creation is waiting, and, and the, the word picture here in the original language is great, creation, it says here, waits with, e- waits with eager longing, but really the word picture is creation waits on its tippy toes, <laughs> that excited, in the hopes that you and I will remember what it means to be us. If we have anything to offer these kids who have just been welcomed into our family, it's this. We have to help them remember the power of being us. We have to help them to remember, to know and to remember what it means to be us and what God hopes for and plans for and aches for as it has to do with us. As it has to do with us. And there were a few in the church in Pergamum who had this figured out to the angel. So the gathered up spirit of the church in Pergamum, write this. This is Jesus writing. This is Jesus talking and John writing to this church. These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Already there are words being used that mean something different to us than what they might mean outside, like 
sword. <laughs> this is an interesting place, this Pergamum right about there on the map in Asia. This is the capital of the Roman Empire in Asia. Pergamum. Pergamum was a very important strategic city. These first three are all roughly the same size, but Pergamum, more than the other two even, are so closely associated. This one is so closely associated with the Roman Empire that you felt like you were rock, walking around in a little bit of Rome. Here's some of the architecture. And the one I want you to, the couple of pictures here that I want you to make specific, uh, specific note of. This one here at the bottom in the center, <laughs> that is actually an altar to Zeus, monstrous altar. Monstrous altar representing a monstrous kingdom, a faith reality in that time and in those days. This particular theology exerted great pressure where our people, our ancestors were concerned, and the people of God were asked to fight back. Now, fight in the way that we fight, but to fight back and resist, resist being swallowed up by another mindset. Now, fighting they got. This is a giant stadium there, an amphitheater there. It seems that we have excavated and uncovered a giant stadium there that looks like a Colosseum, Colosseum seating arrangement. In other words, we're pretty sure that Pergamum featured a lot of gladiator fighting. And you know why? Because we just enjoy a good fight. We just do. People enjoy that kind of reality programming. <laughs> That's not recent. We always have enjoyed that kind of reality programming. In fact, we think, other than Rome itself, this may have been the fight capital of the world. <laughs> the fight capital of the world. So in these verses, written to this particular location, when the author uses the language of fighting and battle, fisticuffs, winning, losing, death and dying, these people consumed as they were by fight clubs of all kinds, understood what was being said. As we get into these verses, I need you to understand. I need you to understand that all this has to do with the right kind of fighting. The right kind of fighting. I mentioned reality programming. Mankind has always asked this question. How are people different when we put them in extenuating circumstances. How are people different when we cram a bunch of people into a house for a lot of weeks or an island for a lot of weeks? When you put people in extenuating circumstances, hear this now, do they change? Are they one way over here in this situation, which offers no threat, and then are they completely different over here? You take the same person, but you put that same person in a different situation. Is he different? Is she different? It's part of the reason we watch reality TV shows like this. Jason, have you ever missed a Survivor episode yet? Okay, a few. Okay, I'm disappointed. Okay. Jason has over the years really liked Survivor, and perhaps for these reasons. It's commentary on human nature. And it's not just limited to reality TV shows. I would submit to you that some of the more popular shows that we watch now, now Breaking Bad's over, Walking Dead's still out there. Part of the reason we watch these shows, by the way, Walking Dead is really not about zombies. Am I right, Ron? 
It's not about zombies. It's about what people are like and how they might respond in certain catastrophic situations. Can I give away the end here so you kind of know where we're going? It is the hope of God that the people of God are the people of God no matter the circumstances. It is the hope of God that the people of God would work through liturgies and rituals, the hearing of the word, participating at the table, participating in all different kinds of ways. It is the hope of God that the people of God would over a period of time be rooted and established so that he can, she can, we can be the same people on our best and most comfortable days and our worst and most cataclysmic days because creation waits with eager expectation to know whether or not you know the truth of the God who wins. And maybe we know those things the best and the deepest when you and I as believers are put in catastrophic situations. Breaking Bad is one of my favorites. This is, uh, well, depending on how you understand this person, this is either Walter White or Heisenberg. <laughs> it's a pretty fascinating storyline, really. I mean, this was a high school chemistry teacher making about 40 grand a year, with a special needs child, a family that he needed to protect and help and nurture, and then he's diagnosed with a fatal disease. He decides that the greater good, the greater good, is this. I've got to do something that generates enough money that my family can be taken care of, so obviously he gets into the myth-making business. <laughs> and over a period of season after season after season, we watch as this extenuating circumstance changes his DNA. That does not look like a high school chemistry teacher, does it? <laughs> It's not supposed to anymore. That's now Heisenberg, who looks like, and is supposed to look like, the man who knocks. The man who knocks. And then, if you open the door, does terrible, terrible things. And the show is fascinating to many of us because we really do want to watch and see whether or not people change and how they change whether or not there's a struggle at least as they slip away and become untethered, we kind of want to know. We kind of somehow, at least I did as I watched this, I wanted him to fight to remain the chemistry teacher. Even though he was faced with, at first, a fatal disease and then a fatal attraction, really, in this life. Getting back to our passage of Scripture It almost seems like the author knows something about us, and it's incredibly uncomfortable. The author seems to know this about us, that we, chronically normal and human as we are, do in fact have the capacity to be different from day to day, situation to situation, pressure point to pressure point. If anyone present has reason to believe these two should not be wed, let them speak now or forever hold their peace. Everybody knows something. 
No one? Okay, moving on. <laughs> Remember that whole uh, campaign ad? Some of them are really funny, and, and I can snicker at them, but by and large, that whole what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas ad campaign makes me sick to my stomach. And here's why. I think it's absolutely true. Some of you have demonstrated the capacity to go to Las Vegas and not be unchristian, and I'm thankful for you. But there is such a prevailing wind having to do with Las Vegas and adjustable morality that's become an effective now 11-year-old ad campaign. Here they are at the church, and not just at the church, but at a ceremony meant to put skin and flesh on some of the greatest, grandest hopes of faith, that people would be able to keep their promises. <laughs> when they make those promises against the backdrop of the cross, hopefully making use of the resources afforded by the cross and the resurrection, the coming of the Spirit. And even there, they mock the truth. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Vegas seems to insinuate that people still have the capacity to be one way in Oklahoma City and then a different way, and I'd rather not talk about it, in Las Vegas. You know, the same way that we have the capacity to be one way here and another way at work. It's not just about Las Vegas, is it? Las Vegas, though, understood today pretty largely as the fight capital of the world. <laughs> but I would submit to you that the people in there, I know some ministers in Las Vegas. I know the church there in Las Vegas. And I would submit to you that the greatest struggles, the greatest fights in Las Vegas don't happen in the ring. They should happen outside of that ring, outside even of the walls of the church. And knowing one of these guys like I know him, Pastor Dave, I know is Sunday in, Sunday out. He's asking his congregation there in Las Vegas, are we fighting the good fight? Are we fighting the right fights? Are we fighting using our weaponry or the weaponry of the enemy? And hear me ask you the same questions. Church, are we fighting the right fights? Are we embodying the right definitions of the right words? Or do we find ourselves fighting with the weapons the weaponry of the other side. I know we are living where Satan's throne is. Perhaps that's a nod toward that altar of Zeus. Yet you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was so faithful that it actually cost him his life there where the great accuser, the great tempter lives. But I do have a few things against you. Now, this sort of gets weird. Stay with me here. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, is largely out of the book of Numbers, who taught Balak, the head of the Moabites, to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice 
terrible word on Kid Sunday, fornication. Here's what you need to know. <laughs> Here's what happened, very quickly. Balaam was a, was a prophet. A prophet, someone who could hear God. Now, he wasn't Jewish, but he was a prophet who could hear God. And Balak, the king of the Moabites, sees all of these Israelites coming over the hill and says, ooh, they are, there's a lot of them, and they're going to take over my kingdom unless I can figure out some way, and maybe I can use some sense of magic to slow them down. And so he goes to Balaam and offers him a lot of money, a lot of money three different times. And Balaam actually finally says, I am listening to this God, and this God will not let me curse these people. In fact, this God is telling me to bless these people. But there is an indication later on that Balaam says, look, I'm not going to curse them, but I'll tell you where their weaknesses are. And here, here are their weaknesses. The men, particularly, have a weakness for good-looking women. And if you will introduce them to some of these other good-looking women, here's what will happen. They'll fall in love, move into those homes with those good-looking women, and then worship other gods, and then they will be in harm's way. And that's exactly what happens. The people of God compromise. The people of God compromise. And in the course of compromising, they find themselves in harm's way and can no longer fight the good fight. Balaam's donkey. <laughs> Balaam was going to meet with uh, Balak and some of these other officials. And an angel shows up to say, listen, you can't go. But Balaam can't see it. Only the donkey can see it. So the donkey stops. And Balaam starts beating his donkey. He says, come on, donkey, keep moving, keep moving. And finally, the donkey speaks up and says, I'm not going any farther. Can you not see the angel right there? True story. That's in the Bible right there. <laughs> so also, you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, and we think that those people were advocating that sometimes it's better to go along and get along. Repent. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, there's another fighting word. I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone. And on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. See, because here, like other cities in the area, this is tough, okay? These are the kinds of questions I get to answer, and I'm glad to answer as your pastor, but hear this. Because in this city, like in other cities, to resist and to say, I am not going to accommodate, I am not going to compromise, I am going to fight the way that you are defining the word success, culture. I'm going to fight the way that you are defining the word power, culture. I'm going to fight the way that you have labeled people, culture. To say those things, sometimes what that means is you kind of get left out. Sometimes that means that your business suffers. Sometimes that might mean that your reputation suffers. And yet, 
called to fight that fight. And if for some reason you've been fighting the wrong fight, or if for some reason you have not been fighting that fight, here comes very hard words to you. Repent, turn around. But here's the promise. Making use of the entire narrative. Look, says the Lord to all of us, if in the process of not compromising, if in the process of fighting the right fight and the good fight, if in that process you find yourself left out, put in harm's way, then remember, I am the God who made bread available from heaven. Remember, I am the God who makes myself available. Jesus will say in John chapter 6, yeah, I will be made available to my people. I am the bread that comes down from heaven in John 6. Manna should tell us all that we need to know about whether or not God is trustworthy. If God is trustworthy, if God is trustworthy, shouldn't we be able to trust that as we are uncompromising where this fight is concerned, the right fight, shouldn't we be able to trust that God will still care for us? Well, one of you agrees with me. <laughs> and then there's this white stone. We think this might be that white stone. There are a lot of different ways to interpret that passage of Scripture, that particular verse. But here's one that catches my attention. Remember, this is the, the city that enjoyed a good fight between gladiators. Now, gladiators were disposable human beings. You understand that, right? To the Roman Empire, gladiators were entertainment, but they were disposable. But if a gladiator made it long enough to actually get to the point where he could retire, then there was a celebration. And in this celebration, there'd be a short liturgy. And in this liturgy, the retiring gladiator would be handed a white stone and the retiring gladiator would live out his days on the dime of the state. Here's what's being said to you. The emperor believes that he has the power to hand out these white stones that care for people's needs as they work from retirement all the way to the end of their lives. But the resurrected Lord is saying here, I have the most important white stones, and if you will fight, if you will fight, if you will fight, then someday there will be a liturgy, and I will place into your hand this white stone, and I will care for your needs the rest of your life. Does that mean that we don't get hungry? Does that mean that we don't suffer disease? No, 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 no. Because I think we all can testify that life happens, but as life happens, hear this, hear this. Whatever commitment Caesar makes to this retiring gladiator pales in comparison to the commitment that the God of the universe makes to us as we fight and struggle in his name. I can't promise you financial success or health. I can wholeheartedly promise you companionship. 
companionship. And by the way, that companionship includes the people of God who have this great way of making faith tangible, but it also includes the God of the universe, the God of manna, the God of all comfort. Have you ever heard of this phrase? Well, when in Rome. <laughs> I think a lot of Christians feel like that this is the phrase that Christian use because use this is the phrase that a Christian will use when they don't want to say when in Vegas. <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But do you know that that is not the origin story of this phrase? This is St. Ambrose. And St. Ambrose was the bishop in Milan and actually visited churches in Milan, but also in Rome. Now, the churches in Rome felt like you should fast on a particular day of the week. We'll call it, because I'm not sure, we'll call that day Thursday. But the churches in Milan felt like you needed to fast. It felt like it was really important that you fast on Tuesday. This does not mean at all that we adjust our morality dependent on where we are. <laughs> That's the way we have read back into this phrase because we think we know about human nature. Instead, here's what's being said. St. Ambrose said, this is not worth fighting over. So when I visit churches on Thursday in Rome, I'll fast on those days. And when I visit churches in Milan on Tuesdays, guess what? I'll fast on Tuesdays. So when in Milan, fasting will happen on a Tuesday. But when in Rome, fasting will happen on Thursday. He wouldn't get involved in the back and forth fight because he was fighting a better fight. It was a better fight to fight. Are we fighting the right fights? Church. I just hate election season. I hate election season. Oh, you too? Yeah. And here's why. Now, I love the process. It's important to me that we have a voting area here. We always make our church available for folks to come in and vote because it's important. It's important. We believe for a long time that it's important that people participate in the process. That's the process is not necessarily the voting and the electing and the way that our government's organized. It doesn't always work well. I get, I get that understatement, right? It doesn't always work well. But it's what we've got, and we should participate in it. What I hate is the way each side will try to Christianize itself and tell you how you have to vote and draw us into fights that aren't ours. Please, I'm asking, and by the way, I'm praying, every Tuesday, and you're welcome to pray for me as I pray. <laughs> I'm praying that we will be above partisanship as we are good citizens. And we'll participate as Christians. 
because we know what fights the fight. Now we're headed toward the table. In fact, if you're helping us today, if you'll go ahead and come and be ready to serve. Hear this. Let me tell you what you did not hear today. Let me tell you what you did not hear today in this passage. You did not hear today a promise that everything will work out comfortably for you. You did not hear that. Somebody else may be preaching that message. There may be somewhere else in our city today someone uh, preaching a prosperity gospel message, but that is not what you heard today in this letter to the church in Pergamum. In fact, what you heard today is this. It is altogether possible that as you are faithful to participate in the right fights, you may suffer for it, and maybe ultimately, as did Antipas. But God is still God. And we are supposed to be fighting on God's side, making sure that we don't get drawn into other fights and taking other sides. We are supposed to be on the side of this kingdom movement that we welcomed children into today. This will get harder the closer and closer we get to any kind of election day. And so we eat and we drink so as to be rooted and established, so as to be the kinds of people who don't change regardless of what season or situation we find ourselves in. Father, bless these elements. And by them, Lord, nourish us to be your people. Give us staying power. Root us and establish us in a way that we can withstand the wind and the waves. God, we do pray for our children. May they, as they look at us and watch us, may they know that it is important that we fight and resist, but it's important that we use the word fight the right way, the way that you have used it and embodied it. May they look at us and see people who know which fights to fight. And God, subtract from us the energy <laughs> that would allow us to fight the wrong fights, but add to us energy in other ways and other times so that we would have the energy to fight the right fights for the right reasons. In other words, God, With this bread, with this cup, would you strengthen us and move us one step closer to the likeness of Christ? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left, and then I'm going to ask you to come forward, and as you come forward, please come with your hands cupped, ready to receive that which cannot be charged or paid for or stolen. As you approach the person with the bread, that person will take a piece of bread, break it off, place it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Then take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup right there. When you do, that person holding the cup will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat right then and there. And then you have a decision to make. And we're going to add something else to the list of possibilities today. 
You have the opportunity to circle right back around and go to your pew and pray. And some of you will do that. Most of you will do that. Perfectly fine. If you need a prayer for healing, then these side padded altars are reserved for you and someone will meet you there to pray that very powerful prayer for healing. Or you may have another need, another prayer to pray, and you are welcome to come to pray that prayer at these altars and someone will meet you there as well. And perhaps you might want to walk past this bowl of very still water right here. Here's what you do if you come to this bowl. There's a little towel there. All you have to do, all you have to do is dip your fingers into that bowl and remember your baptism. And maybe here is the right place to pray a very simple prayer. God, remind me. Remind me of the implications of my baptism. Perhaps it was decades ago. Perhaps it was last year. But God, remind me of the implications of my baptism. And God, help me to live up to and into the high calling of being amongst the baptized. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you as I fight the right kind of fight in the right kind of way. Every time you eat this bread, remember me. Be strengthened and encouraged, rooted and established. Later on, he would take the cup, he'd hold it before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. And be rooted and established. All across the sanctuary now, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left and come forward now to receive that which comes only as a gift. Be rooted and established today.
Dear Heavenly Father, we confess. We confess, Lord, that we don't always fight the right fights. Some, sometimes, Lord, we get drawn into other fights that aren't ours. Sometimes, God, we find that we don't have the energy to fight the one that we're supposed to fight. God, may we hear in this letter to the church in Pergamon a challenge to the way that we're going to live out our Mondays. May we hear in these words, in this text today, may we hear a challenge to the way that we understand the universe to be drawn together. God, give us the courage and the integrity to confess the difference between the world as you see it and the world as we see it. Remind us, God, how powerful it is when the people of God are pledging their allegiance first and foremost to this king and this kingdom. Remind us, God, of all the differences that can be made as we give ourselves to you. Remind us, God, that we can be, we can be rooted and established so deeply we can resist change change to our morality structure, change in our intentions as we are shifted from situation to situation. God, may the world see in us what creation aches to see in the people of God, that we are so deeply committed to your purposes, so completely committed to your character, that we can be trusted help organize and steward all of life. Now hear us, God, as we bring these other needs to your attention, Lord. Help us know how we might be able to come alongside and further your kingdom. As we turn our hearts towards intercessory prayer, we want to bring a few names and faces and places in intercession as a congregation to our Lord this morning. We're grateful this morning that Lynn Caprero is here and ask God that you continue to come alongside Lynn and Trudy heal Lynn's body. Lord, we ask you to be with June Adams as we look back at RK. Lord, ask you to come alongside this Adams family. You would love them and heal them and be with June. Lord, we ask you to be with Dr. Ken Rice, who's been able to be out of the hospital but now rests at home under hospice care. We're so grateful for our former pastor. And ask God that you would come alongside in grace and love with Dr. Ken Rice and his family. Pray for his son-in-law and Lee Nichols recovering from surgery this week on his knee. And just God ask that you'd be with Lee, one of the rocks and founders of this lovely church, God, that you have placed here on Northwest Expressway. Lord, we're glad you've placed us here and ask God that you'd continue to allow us to be a presence in this walkable neighborhood. Lord, we're grateful for these apartment complexes around us and the kids' club that come each and every day after school. Lord, would we be a beacon and a light to these neighborhoods and send us out, even today, Lord, with outposts this afternoon, to be able to be grace and love and presence in this place where you have placed us. Lord, we love Oklahoma and we love Oklahoma City and pray for our city and our nation. Lord, we ask you to be with our friends overseas our friends in Zambia, some of our friends in Zambia who, one of our pastors over there in Zambia suffered the loss of his daughter this week. And ask God that you be with our friends and our church family in Zambia. 
Lord, from our neighborhood to around the world, would you allow us to be people who love you and live into this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, and we'll pray this morning using debts and debtors. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 